Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As I settle into my wicker chair in our deluxe recording studio, which happens to be my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony, I invite you on a journey to the places where you've found some of the greatest mastermind inspiration that's moved your business and your life forward. Where were you when this happened? Were you in a coffee shop? Were you in a cigar shop? Were you at the networking function after the seminar on day two? Were you at an outdoor cafe? Were there birds chirping in the background? A little bit of ambient wind? Maybe the laughter from the conversation at the table next to you? These are the places where we have those conversations, where we have those interactions that change our lives. The Business Creators Radio Show is a from-the-field podcast where I take you into the field and I take you to those places in alignment with my own dedication to the laptop lifestyle. So today we're relatively tame. We're out here on the balcony. It's a nice day out here in Las Vegas. And we're going to have a conversation with somebody who I've been excited to have on Business Creators Radio for a long time now. And I find myself so fortunate that we're finally able to connect with them. We're going to be speaking about working toward financial independence and time freedom, those classic entrepreneurial tropes, the things that we say we're looking for. We want financial independence. We want time freedom. Well, what does that all mean? And in story selling, storytelling, storybook format, we're going to hear from Joe DeSanto of playlouder.com. Now, all I can tell you for now about Joe is that having semi-retired at age 43, Joe's efforts are now focused on Play Louder, which is an educational blog where he shares a lifetime of fiscal know-how to help individuals and business owners like you navigate their finances, increase your net worth, and plan better for your future. I'm excited to share this story with you as much as I was excited to hear in the green room five minutes ago. So without further ado, Joe DeSanto, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, what's happening, Adam? How are you, man? Oh, fantastic. Now, I'm reading over your official bio here, and this is so impressive. It's pretty exciting. I'm not (laughs) sure that I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. We're going to find out. And that's a a line I say on most (laughs) of my episodes, but I'm going to take it one step further with you. With you, I'm not really sure I'm qualified to read it. So what I want to do here is I want to merge that sentiment with what we typically do here. The very first thing we ask our guests is to set aside the official bio. Tell us about your journey. What's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? All right. Well, uh, if I were to if I were to cut kind of to the chase of what brought me to exactly where I am today, uh, it would it would be probably when my my kid was born, uh, basically. Right. Um, prior to that, I mean, I've I've uh, owned businesses for the last well almost twenty years now. So I was I was a business owner prior to him coming along. Um, but I was an owner of, you know, I mean, I jokingly say like an old school business with like a location <laughs> and a staff yeah. and all that sort of stuff, which was great. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed that for a long time. But um, the business grew and it, it became pretty demanding and pretty time consuming and uh, stressful and not not that any of those things are bad. But when we had our son, like 
I didn't really realize how much extra work kids would like add to your play. play, Basically (laughs) they're like a lot of work as it turns out. Uh, I guess, you know, if you, if you're going to like hang out with them and stuff, uh, which we try to do. Right. And uh, it just, you know, it just was all getting like kind of really, you know, extra stressful, but also like, you know, I was, I'm just not a good person. I'm not good at like switching on and off, like from one task to another. So it was like hard for me to come home from like kind of stressful work stuff and having all these projects going on. And then just like tune that out and tune into like sitting down and playing games and that kind of stuff. So I felt like I was struggling to kind of do the parenting thing well. And then when I was doing it, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really doing a good job at it. So my wife and I decided we would try to uh, kind of change up our lives so that we could have more time and, you know, be able to focus on uh, the family thing for a while instead of completely focusing on work. And luckily, you know, having had owned a business and having had prepared well and having had do all the having done all the things that I help people to kind of get get uh, themselves doing nowadays, we were able to make that, you know, big change and exit, you know, the business we had been doing and 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 basically start something new that's more of a laptop lifestyle biz. Like I'm I'm now like a fractional CFO business consultant. I can do it from anywhere. Literally, we'll go on road trips and I do it from the car sometimes, tethering from my phone. It's just like a completely different. Uh, situation. And I can also basically do it part time, you know, uh, and the money I make from it, plus some of my other, you know, income sources through investing, I can make my nut and just kind of live like a much more mellow, uh, less stressful life. So, and, you know, consequently be able to be a little bit of a better dad, I think, or at least in my opinion, you know, we'll see what my kid thinks when he's like 15. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple of things about your story that you told me about that were interesting. And this is something that resonated with me. You started on your path to making money very early. So when you were 13, you were working as a busboy. And part of that was uh, helping out your your mom. I know that part. And part mm-hmm. of it was also picking up your own tab. And mm-hmm. now I myself, I could not wait to be 16 years of age. I could not get, wait to get my driver's license. The reason being is I was forced to live by other people's decisions in this rural podunk area where a trip to and from the nearest convenience store was something you planned for. This is a place I would never choose to live. Uh, So I needed a few, in the the depths of the backwoods of Southwestern Pennsylvania. So whatever you think is the backwoods of Southwestern Pennsylvania, go behind that that and then go behind (laughs) the farm behind that. I would never choose to live in this place. And I don't care which of my relatives are listening to this because I've said it to all of them. God, no. I needed a vehicle. I needed a vehicle because I needed to get to places where the money was. Now, before I turned 16, I had a grass cutting business. But what does that do for you when the average property size is just over an acre? I mean, the only customers I could find is I had my little red lawnmower, little red lawnmower. I used to push it up the road a mile and three quarters to the trailer <laughs> park where I got a couple jobs, a couple people had small lots. Other than my parents, there was nothing else for me to do. Wow. So I couldn't even make money cutting grass, which is like supposed to be the easiest way that a 13 year old can make money. Yeah. That or being supposed a bus boy, basically. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, and it's kind of funny because my first job was working in, in fast food, but I needed a vehicle to do that. Right. So you learned a valuable lesson, and I want to hear more about this. And the yeah. way you explained it to me is if you don't deal with your money, your money will deal with you. Yes, yes. That's one of my sayings and, you know, what I tell some of, some of the kids that I help with, the younger people. But, um, yeah, man, I just, you know, I, basically my parents uh, split up and uh, my mom, uh, the kind of finances all fell to her. And she just, you know, God bless her. I love her. And she's heard me say this plenty of times. Um, she just wasn't good with money. It just wasn't her thing. Um, and also because she, you know, I mean, she, she's born in the forties and had four kids and kind of was a stay at home mom up until then. So she didn't yeah. really have a ton of like 
skills and income potential, really. So once my parents got divorced, like she was out getting basically a very low paying sort of administrative assistant job and she yeah. sold two young kids. And, and she's like, not very good at managing money and just, it's not good about kind of financial decisions. So basically I just kind of saw her money, you know, disappear essentially. And, and yeah. I was pretty mature for my age and she kind of needed you know, someone to talk to, I guess. So, and I was curious, I was nervous, you know, so I was asking, I would ask her about money and just like, eventually I was like, how much money do we have left? And she's like, none. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. like, and then eventually, you know, mortgage the house, it filed for bankruptcy, the whole thing. And I just saw very early, we, well, one, you know, I got the job just because it was like, I had a few extra bucks for myself. Uh, it wasn't a ton, but it was helpful. And then as I got even older, I, I inevitably was working about 30 hours a week during high school. And I paid for my own stuff. I paid for my car, I paid for my gas, my insurance, my uh-huh. clothes, all that kind of stuff. But um, I just, you know, I, I saw firsthand what happens if you don't pay attention, you know, and you don't take it seriously. And you think that, you know, money is going to be something that just kind of works itself out in your life. Uh, so those lessons just, you know, it's like stuck with me and, and never really, I went off to college. I luckily had good grades. So I got, you know, about half grants and then half loans and yeah. I left college about 30 grand debt, which at the time was not, I mean, that's not much, you know, compared to today, but that was like 1997. So it was, wasn't, yeah, we're about, you know, we're about the same age. I graduated yeah. from undergrad in 98. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, as I, right after I got out of school, I, well, in even my last couple of years of school, I was financing a little bit of my school on credit cards. And I started to see those kind of like climb up and then got out of school and and got a job. And, you know, you just don't make that much money out of school, you know? So That's right. it's like you I don't. moved to New York. I wasn't making enough money. And, but I could see what was happening and how even though I was going into debt and my financial situation was bad, it was even more important to pay attention to my money then, you know, to try to basically, you know, mitigate the damage as best I could until, you know, I made more money. But yeah, it took a while to actually get up to a decent paying job. And I think I peaked out on my my total debt, student loan and credit card debt of about $72,000 in the uh-huh. Yep, around the age of 25. And then wow. luckily, I mean, it was almost like I was, I'm going to throw my hands up and like, you know, consider bankruptcy or something myself because I was just struggling with my career. And luckily, I, I did finally get like a good gig that like, you know, I could, if I did a good enough job at, at least I felt would turn into more money. And it did. And then things started to turn around. But I had like such good financial discipline at that point, like I could make, you know, I was making the most out of the money I was making. I was like saving the most. I was really putting the most towards the debt. I really believed in buying a house. I focused on on making that a priority. And I even actually bought my house before I completely cleared up my debt. Like some people are always like, you should clear out all your credit card debt before you buy a house. And I'm like, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I'm like, I think you should prioritize, you know, something like buying a house because it can help you. Oh, 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 I have thoughts on this, but finish yours (laughs) first. Um, This is is what I mean about the mastermind experience. Oh, 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 oh. go ahead. Yeah. So I, um, I managed to buy a house finally at age (sighs) 28. Um, and luckily I was, you know, I was, I was a beneficiary of the loose lending standards of the early 2000s. So as I, I said, you and, you and I, same cohort, same age, yeah. same story. Um, but that house really paid off for me. It was funny. Like I, I bought it in 04. I luckily wrote up, you know, the, the crazy housing boom up until 08. I refinanced it, got money out, paid off my remaining credit card bills. I used the rest to start my business. Then the housing crash came. My house went underwater, but luckily, you know, you can't be margin called with your house, with your home loan. So I just stayed put and, you know, it was in my house for the next 10 years. I enjoyed it. I eventually came back then some sold it, traded up to an even bigger, better house in a better neighborhood, sold that three years later, made a bunch of money on that. And, and then did a whole bunch of real estate and other real estate investing along the way. I think I invested in a total of about 16 different properties, including two commercial buildings and some land and all of that 
you know, is really what propelled my savings into being able to like make that transition. I made it 43 and kind of do this sort of semi-retired thing. Yeah. Um, so like for me, work, but then starting my own business and then investing in real estate, like aggressively and being really focused on my personal finances and understanding investing and understanding the need of that to propel your savings so you can retire even period, never mind retiring early, uh, you know, and, and uh, figuring out how to use real estate and other investments to just, you know, make my money become a lot more money. Well, first of all, since you and I are about same age, same cohort, you uh, may recall from the time of your childhood and your adolescence going to the mall. Remember the mall? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, there was then there might have been a clothing store there called the Merry-Go-Round. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, was, uh, I was so well known to the Merry-Go-Round that uh, and all the subsidiaries they bought were eventually you had uh, the same company controlling like four different stores when they went through that phase of hyper growth that ultimately came back and bit them in the butt and forced them into bankruptcy. But anyway, um, I was so well known to the to the uh, people, the merry-go-round, that as I was approaching the entrance, somebody would meet me there and tell me whether or not they had new stock. Mm-hmm. I wanted to wear that stuff, those brands. And you remember the <laughs> brands that they had there. I'm from Rhode Island, so big, yeah, exactly, a big, big store in Rhode Island. Exactly. Like, the mall was chess king for dudes where you get yes. your cabarets and you're like, yes. gold chain and stuff. The yes, gold chain yes. apparently is back now for the kids. but Well, that, that and I still have all my gold chains from back then. You can get your sweater with like a bunch of leather patches on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it was pretty dope. Well, the, reason, the, reason, the reason I bring that up is I wanted to have my own money so I could buy the clothing that I wanted to wear. And it's kind of weird because I was told by certain folks that by wanting to earn my own money to buy the clothing that I wanted, because I liked those fashions, I thought they felt nice on me, I I thought they looked good on me, I felt great wearing that stuff from that particular store that, oh, I was just copying other people. Right. But But I should instead... But other people buy clothes for me from Macy's so that I could look preppy and be mm-hmm. like the preppy kids. <laughs> so wait a minute, you're telling me to not follow other people so that I could be just like other people. And mm-hmm. uh, one thing I really wanted in particular was the um, it was the uh, 1992 to 1993 edition of the IOU leather jacket. Uh, that was when, that was when the, <laughs> see, you laugh because you remember this. And, yeah. uh, and this particular one, there was the black and white one. There was the purple and black one. Oh and then God. there was one, I think that was red. And I can't remember. There were three different color schemes. I had the purple and black one. And, uh, and that was the year that the theme was legend across America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I kept hearing this nag like, well, who, who do you see wearing a jacket like that? Do you want to be like, and I, <laughs> at the time, that's and at the time I didn't have an answer, but today I certainly have an answer, which is, duh! Obviously, I've seen it around. Ever heard of this thing called social proof? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it's it's. I wanted to say to some of these same people. It's why you went out and bought those exercise tapes, right? Because you heard <laughs> it from somebody else. I mean, <laughs> and that's the that's the nature of how things get sold and how thing how commerce happens is social proof is the basis of almost everything social proof is the basis of why we're having this conversation it's everything you you and i discussed up until now uh now the next thing that i wanted to mention is this whole thing um and this is very brief and then i want to get back to more about you is about a year ago i was at a point where i've been trying to deal with credit card debt for seven years and we've gotten absolutely nowhere with it. I mean, I had gotten nowhere. Uh, back in the days that you mentioned when it was easy to get loans, well, it was very mm-hmm. easy for me to get debt consolidation loans. So in 2008, I took out a debt consolidation loan for the business that consolidated all the business debt. I paid the whole thing off. Now, between mm-hmm. 2008 and 2013, the Great Recession happened. So then I ended up running up, in the meantime, running up the line of credit and a couple of the cards again. So I thought, cool, I just paid off this loan. Perfect. Every payment was timely. And I went back to the same bank. I said, I'd like another one of these loans, please. 
And they treated me like a criminal for daring to ask. Yeah. It got to the point Thanks. with their it got to the point with their so-called underwriters, and I will say this with as much contempt as I feel like because this is my show, where they were apparently had already decided that they were never going to give me a loan, but just they were just going to jerk me around for a while so they could have the statistics that they allowed me to apply. And they just kept asking all these stupid questions. And at one point they got to showing me these algorithms where they were counting my personal student loan balance three times in three different ways Wow! against my business credit, which first of all was just, and it, and I, it got to the point with them where the middleman uh, at the bank asked me, so the underwriters want to know, why do you have a student loan anyway? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, you know, the thing is, is um, about 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, Decided I wanted to go to college. College yeah. even back then wasn't cheap. So I took out the student loan and I used that as seed capital to launch the meth lab that I used to raise the money to buy the textbooks. And I said, tell your underwriters that. And then I got a, and then, and then, uh, then the next thing is the guy delivered a message from the underwriters and they were actually dead serious about this. They were asking me if I'd like to do 25 years in prison. They were actually serious about this. Yeah, London got a little tough after uh, 2008. Uh-huh. It was so a little that, dicey there for a yeah, while. So that, so that should give you a framework for how I was trapped in a cycle. Yeah. So about a year ago, I was counseled by somebody to look at this and say, you've been making these payments on these credit cards for seven years. You've gotten nowhere with it. Something's got to give. Mm-hmm. And I, I spoke with my coach. I spoke with some other people and a couple of folks tried to say, well, just keep making the minimum payments and focus on raising revenue. And I said, that's what I've been doing for seven goddamn years. Mm-hmm. And because I'm caught in this trap, I can't even raise capital that I can invest to turn into revenue. So what did you decide to do? So here's what I figured out. I got my detailed credit reports. And I thought that my credit was an absolute disaster. Turns out my credit was actually very good because all my payments were timely. The only mm-hmm. problem was, and this is why my all my indicators weren't green, but they were yellow. They weren't green. It wasn't that bad. It's because my percentage of utilization of available revolving credit was very high. Right. In other words, I was using a lot of the credits. Yeah. So the solution became to find a non-traditional lender to give me a boost. Well, I found one and I used some of the money for personal expenses. I used some of the money for capital investments that uh, toward revenue generators. And Mm -hmm. I used part of it to pay off enough of the credit cards to get me into the green indicators. And then once I got the green indicators, that's been opening doors for me to get other forms of funding. So I knew that I couldn't take care of all the debt at once, but this is the punchline or so to speak is I found a way to adjust my credit, my personal credit score enough. And this was the key. I looked at all the credit cards and this is uh, something I like to tell people. You may think those are business credit cards you have, but check your personal credit card credit reports and see how many of them are actually personal cards. Yeah, I mean, you get, many, you get, li- uh, you get lied to. All I, write, I write about that a little bit on my website. There are not all business uh, those, credit cards. Those are, are the ones I siloed off. off, siloed off of your personal credit report. You got to get those a business ones, card that doesn't report exactly. to your personal credit report. Exactly. Yeah. Bingo. Those are the ones I paid off. So I, uh, so I basically, I fed two cats with one can of food. Nice. Well, and uh, like and that op- and that opened up abilities to get new funding for the business. And it also opened up opportunities on the personal side. I'm actually at a point now where I don't have to pay off the rest of my credit card debt as quickly Mm -hmm. because my indicators are green. As long as I continue to make timely payments, I don't want to say I have all the time in the world, but I'm not under the same pressure as I used to be. Sure. So it's a matter of, so it's a matter of, uh, if you don't deal with your money, your money will deal with you. That certainly happened to me. And you looked at the situation and you wiped out that $70,000. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, uh, I wiped it out through 
both income generation, like there's no, there's no, uh, there's no better defense than a good offense. Yep. And then also once, you know, I got into real estate, I, I kind of saw the power of how as real estate appreciates, you can borrow money out of your real estate tax-free essentially, uh, and do a whole variety of things with it. So real estate to me, even at just buying my first house, I really could see like how powerful and helpful it could be, uh, especially given good economic conditions. Yep. So I decided, you know, once we started our business and we needed a new uh, space, I was like, we should buy, you know, the place we live our, you know, our business lives in. Let's just buy the building that our business, you know, occupies. Um, And so we did that and that worked out well. We ended up buying a business building, fixing it up. We did really well on it, but we needed yet another bigger place. So we sold that, took our prof, half of our profits for you know ourselves and the other half we put into yet another building that we did a renovation on and built out. So I just, you know, to me, like owning your own house or owning the, the building that your business is in is just like kind of a no brainer way to yep. get the most out of the money that you're making, you know? So, and that's a lot of what I do for my clients. Uh, is because a lot of my clients that, you know, pay me monthly on kind of on a retainer basis, they do well for themselves. They're, they're high income earners or their business owners, but just because someone has a business or actually has a great income doesn't mean that they manage their money well. And it doesn't mean that they're really like squeezing the most value out of the money they're making. A lot of them end up just with expenses beyond what even their high income can really afford, you know? So they they end up burning through money like needlessly or, or wastefully. And I always say to them, listen, you know, it doesn't matter if you make a ton of money or little money, like you know, managing your finances and looking after your finances and trying to be as optimal as possible is always a good thing to do because no matter like how much money you make, it's like the more you spend, it's like tacking on more work, you know, to the, yep. the later years of your life, you know, <laughs> I mean, unless correct. you make so much money that it's just, you know, be you just, you just earned your way out of ever having to think about it and you'll still be able to retire. I mean, good for you. I mean, amazing. That's great. But that's, that's getting up into the more rare category, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right now I live way beneath my means. I live in a two bedroom apartment and you know what? I love it. Because the maintenance is like nothing. If yeah. something breaks, I make a phone call. And I also have it very sparsely furnished. There's a lot of wide open space and there's very little hang on the walls. There's yeah. a very simple reason. I don't feel like dealing with it. Yeah. I, it doesn't I matter recommend to me. It doesn't a simplified matter. life. You know, yeah, like- it doesn't matter to me. So, and uh, <laughs> and for those who say, but 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 what if it, what happens when you find that that special woman? Is she gonna want to live in your minimalist? white space trap and i'll say hey as long as i got my balcony she can decorate the whole damn thing (laughs) see see i see i i learned that lesson from my sister and my brother-in-law they figured this out pretty quickly the uh when they got when they bought their house the entire basement is my brother-in-law's man cave and he can do whatever he wants down there nice the whole rest of the house is hers and they're pretty happy. Yeah, happy wife, happy <laughs> life, right? Uh-huh, yeah. So, so, and it looks at it this way. For him, he recognized that she had her visions for how they, she wanted their house to be. And it's like, okay, cool, I'll support that. Mm-hmm. And she also recognized that he's the type of man who needed a man cave. So why fight it? Yeah. There's enough for everybody. And I, I, I tell a lot of my clients, I mean, I, I like to keep life kind of simple because the more stuff you have, it's just the more you have to kind of deal with, you know, yep. um, and the more stuff you have, just the more expensive things are, you know? So I think, I mean, I'm not a minimalist, but I think, you know, I kind of have a basic, pretty simple existence. And to me, that brings me a little bit more peace, you know, as, a, as yep. opposed to just being stressed out about getting this paid and the car, that car registered and this car registered and all that uh-huh. stuff. Um, and, but I do, I do recommend if you're going to have more things that they be income producing assets, you know, yes. or at least appreciating assets. So like real estate, like other investments, that sort of stuff. I mean, I have to say real estate being, you know, our main kind of investment vehicle and we've owned a lot of properties in different states. The the paperwork does sort of add up, you know, especially if you do LLCs and you try to do you know uh-huh. your asset protection and all that. So 
there can become a lot of just kind of paperwork and, and hassle that has to be dealt with on an annual basis for you, for your oh, real estate. Yeah. But to me, that's, that's hassle. That's worth it. But if it's just like, you know, trying to how, to, how to figure out how to get all my CDs registered and my classic car registered and my, my you know, all this stuff. And I, I've kind of like lightened the load, you know, that's what I've kind of come to appreciate a little bit more, I guess, as I've got older. Precisely. So let's get into a couple practical things here. Uh, first of all, and you shared a few things you wanted me to cover here. And I think that a few of these are really intriguing. One of which is, is, and this is going to sound so simple. But I think it's very important because I've run into people who don't get this. Why are personal and business budgets so important? And why don't many people and businesses have them? Yeah. Well, you know, it seems like I think if you were to ask anybody on the street, do you think having a budget's important? They would probably say yes. Uh, and then you would say, would you have one? And then they would probably say no. <laughs> um, and the budget's uh, important for obvious reasons. Um, it's It's just you need to know if you are spending within your means, ultimately. So you need to know how much your life costs you and do you make more than that? So i.e., are you making more than you are spending? And like, that's the only way for you to know how much you spend every year and how much you make uh, and the difference. That's the only way you know if you've actually saved any money. Like, I don't care if you actually put dollars in some special savings account or whatever. If you can't tell me how much you spent and how much you made last year, you have no idea whether you've saved money or not, you know, because that's really the only true measure. So in a sense, like the budget's really important for planning, but more important is actually doing bookkeeping for your business, obviously, Mm -hmm. and also though for your personal life, so that you can know if you are actually adhering to your budget, you know, and if you are making more than you, in fact, making more than you are spending and in fact, saving money. Yeah, um, and that's, a, that's a tough one. Most people, people like to think that otherwise. Yeah, most people think that doing bookkeeping for a business is a good idea, you know, because, uh-huh. you know, if, 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 if someone asks you to invest in your business and you're like, well, all right, well, how much net profit did you make last year? And someone's like, well. I don't know. I don't do any bookkeeping. I mean, uh, you'd be like, well, I'm not going to invest in your business. You're an idiot. Um, But for whatever reason, nobody thinks that doing bookkeeping for their personal finances is, you know, a good idea. Or do they even think about it as an idea at all? But, you know, I, I recommend to people that you really do need to do some personal bookkeeping, like in, in a computer software of some kind, like Quicken or whatever into Uh it. I mean, um, mint or something like that so that you really know the actual truth now most people don't want to do this or don't feel they have time or you know i kind of liken it to exercise it's like everyone knows they probably should be doing it but they just never find the time and then 20 years go by and they die of a heart attack um you really need to do it for yourself or you need i think you should pay someone to do it uh because it's it's that important you know uh, but so that's a little bit of what I evangelize on my site. Now, the, the people that pay me to do this kind of work for them are mostly the business owners and they pay me to do work for them for their business. But I, you know, tell them all the things I'm telling you now and kind of quickly convince them that, wow, I really need to then like look at my personal finances, I guess, too, and make sure that all this work I'm doing at my business actually is netting money that's staying in my savings account and like going to be setting me up for my retirement. Um, So inevitably, I end up like taking over the kind of financial life of the personal side of the owners as well. Um, and you know, most of these businesses do pretty well, so they, they can afford to pay me to do it. And most of the time I, I save them more money in one way or another than they pay me. So it's a net positive for them to pay me to do it. But yep. you know, for your average individual or young person who's not making that much money, obviously it's hard to pay someone to do this, but you, you really don't have to. I mean, I even recommend to my clients, I set them up and quick and I get it all going and I'm like, you don't have to keep paying me to like keep you know keep doing the maintenance. You can do it. Like I mean, as your financial advisor, you know I <laughs> I should tell you you could save money by not paying me. Um, but they're like, yeah, I just don't have time. You just I just like that you do it. You know, so yeah. I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, not that I'm trying to talk myself out of a gig, but it's like, no, no, you know, I get, I get um, you, I get you. 
So I'm, I'm, I really push people to, to take the responsibility and do it. And I kind of act as like a trainer, you know, or a coach or whatever you want to call it. Now, doing the bookkeeping and like knowing what's going on every year is critical, obviously. But what's almost even more important is creating an overall plan for your life and your inevitable or potential retirement, you know, before it happens, you know, I, I always kind of say that you, you generally don't go on a road trip to like a destination and never open a map. You don't get in your car and just hope that you mysteriously just show up at your destination yeah. you know, three days into the, the future. Uh, you would never do that. You would be like, how am I going to get to wherever I'm going? Okay. I'm going to use the tools available to me. A la a map, Google maps, whatever. Back in our day, you know, when I went on the family road trip, we'd get the AAA triptych and we'd have to like, you know, open up a paper map. But um, so part of, you know, another thing I do with people and I also offer as a course on my website is uh, mapping out your road to retirement. And it's, you know, it's not that hard to do. Like I just, you know, did it for myself kind of out of instinct over the years and created a few spreadsheets and just, you know, did the, the, bat, the basic math to figure it out. And what you're trying to do is basically say, Hey, I'm, I want to retire someday, you know, maybe 30 years from now. And, and, you know, I'm ballparking right now, but, but roughly I want to live here and I'd like to be drinking margaritas all day and whatever it is. And, you know, I'm yeah. going to need a hundred thousand dollars a year uh, of income to live that life, you know? And, and right. once you figure that out, you sort of backwards, you know, you plan it in reverse and you say, okay, well, in order to generate a hundred thousand, hundred thousand dollars a year of income, I need to have this much of an nest egg. In order to have this much of an nest egg, I need to save this much per month for the next 30 years. And that savings has to earn this percentage minimally on average compound annual growth in order for me to reach my goal. And that math is completely doable. It's not complicated. And it really is an eye-opening process to why you need to be so diligent about your personal finances and why you need to be diligent about savings and why you need to be diligent about learning how to invest and learning how to get, you know, a reasonable rate of return every year on your savings. Like you can just literally yeah. see it in a spreadsheet, you know, but it's super easy math and it doesn't even take that long to do. And I, you know, I have like a $200 course on my website called the financial independence roadmap. I give you all my spreadsheets and pretty much walk you through how to do it. You can sit down and do it like, you know, in a few hours on a Saturday. So, I mean, it's just, it's so important if you plan on retiring and you, you know, you, the other thing is like, you know, inevitably people do find a way to retire somehow or another, hopefully. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, been driving down the road uh, and you see a trailer park, like right up next to a highway. And you're always like, man, I wonder who the fuck lives in that place. And it's like, well, people who didn't plan well for their retirement live in that place. <laughs> Basically, you know, it's like it could be that or something nicer or even worse, God forbid. But it's like you'll figure it out because the workforce will they it will phase you out as you get old enough. Like you will become generally unemployable, or, you know, and you will be forced to kind of live, you know, whatever new existence. You want that to be as great as possible. You want it to be what you have in your mind today, you know, but if you don't plan it will not be what you have in your mind. It'll be far inferior to that. Uh, yeah. It just can't be left up to chance. So, you know, I, I just, luckily this was always a hobby and an interest of mine. And, you know, I put a lot of energy and thought to it. And like, when I owned my business with the with the office and the employees and stuff, I had a lot of assistants and kind of, you know, shepherded a lot of people's careers over the years. And they would hear me on the phone talk, doing my real estate or they'd see me kind of doing my finances, you know, and they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm going to tell them, I'm telling them what I'm doing. I'm like, you know, I'm counting my money. I'm making sure that I'm saving. I'm looking at my investments and they'd always be like, man, you should like, you should teach a class at the community college about personal finance or something. And uh, I'd be like, yeah, someday, someday, maybe I will. And that someday came, basically, I kind of did my semi-retirement. And then, you know, before you knew it, like people were asking me if I could help them figure out how to retire, you know, early or semi-retire early or change their career that they didn't like anymore. And, um, 
uh, it all, you know, is doable through planning and, you know, uh, deliberate execution over time. So people started asking me to help them. And uh, I started saying yes. And now I help both individuals and business owners and individuals that own businesses uh, to uh, know how to implement these processes and see what the results are and then get on a, a road to the promised land. Right. Okay. So here's another place I wanted to uh, discuss. Uh, should you have an incorporated entity? And if so, at what point? I mean, I think the first part of this question is like, duh, but what I want to get into is when you should form, whether it's a corporation or a limited liability company or something along those lines. I'm going to let you go first, but I believe that it should actually happen even earlier than some people would normally think. But uh, you go first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely say yes. Now, there's there's two reasons you incorporate yourself. And when I say that you could start an actual incorporation like an INC, you know, Inc, as I, you know, a short for Inc or short for corporation or an LLC, you know, limited liability yep. company. They're they're sim they're different but pretty similar and the two main reasons that you're going to uh incorporate yourself is one for liability protection. So depending what you do for people, what your business does, um, if you do anything where there is potential liability, where if you muck something up, uh, they could sue you. And if they, if you don't have a corp, when they sue you, they get access to your personal assets, you know, through the yeah. lawsuit. And like, and rental property is a good example. Like you own a rental property in your name, you got a tenant, I don't know, something happens at the house, the tenant gets injured, they decide to sue you. If you don't have an LLC for that entity, they're suing you personally and they can access your personal assets, you know, to one degree or another. So if you have an LLC, you sort of put, you know, a line of defense uh, in between your personal assets and the lawsuit. So that's reason number one you would do it. The next reason is for potential like tax efficiency, uh, depending on what you do and, you know, what your business is and how much money you make and, and that kind of thing. So the, the entity, depending what it is and how it's tax will create certain, you know, tax opportunities, tax savings opportunities, uh, for you. And depending where you're at in your business, you know, and, and it's in, ter in terms of like overall revenue and things like that, you uh, may also want to incorporate and particularly maybe have an S-Corp or something like that to gain better tax efficiencies. So those are the two reasons you do it. I think from an income perspective, you know, you probably, because there's some cost to incorporating and some annual fees, depending on like what state you live in and, and things like that. But you know, I kind of say to people, if you're probably making more than 50 or 60 grand at, at, at a job, whether it be a side hustle or your actual, you know, independent contractor work, you probably could consider um, incorporating for potential tax benefits. Um, but prior to that, um, especially if you're in a state where it's not that expensive to have an entity, like having it for the liability protection alone is, is a good idea. You know, so um, and but if you don't have an entity, I will say and, and FYI, I should say I'm not a CPA and I'm not a lawyer. So I, I share information I've learned from my own CPA, my own lawyer and like books I've read and whatever. But obviously this information you need to verify with your own CPA or lawyer. Yeah, what yeah, works for you. All, all the uh, well, let's just say that we uh, both stipulate to all the disclaimers. Yeah, all the all the disclaimers. Um but, uh, you know, if you don't have an entity and you have independent contractor income, you still get the benefit, you know, a lot and almost all of the similar benefits from a tax deduction point of view, because yep. you are operating, you know, uh, as a business, you're just operating kind of as a business under your own social security number. So you can, you know, have similar tax deductions, like whatever business you see your car, if you have, if you operate your business out of your house, you get to use some of your home as a home office deduction, things like that. So. So there are huge benefits from that perspective to having a business, just generally speaking. And even if you just have like a side hustle kind of consulting thing, 
um, where you work from home and you have a few clients and you do whatever it is you can do. Uh, I always recommend people to do that because then they start to get some tax benefits the business owners get. And there's a great difference between the tax benefits the business owners get versus, you know, the, the average W2 employee. So, yep. um, owning a business, you know, there's reasons for that. People who own businesses create jobs. They even create their own job if that's the case. And, in you know, the government wants to incentivize people to be entrepreneurial. So they provide, you know, tax incentives for that. They also provide tax incentives for owning real estate because the government has deemed that people owning their own home is good for the country or providing housing for others is something that's very much needed, uh, you know, in the country's economy. So they provide tax incentives for people to go out and do that kind of stuff. Um, And I always say to people, uh, you know, in I, I have three pillars under which I think you know the road to success will be will be reached or traveled, and it's being financially prudent, or essentially you know doing your bookkeeping, minding your money, all that kind of stuff. Being entrepreneurial or business minded, you know, starting a business or starting a side hustle or whatever. And then being investing focused, meaning understanding how investing works and understanding why getting a good return in your savings is so mission critical to eventually reaching your retirement. And, you know, in order in order to better achieve a better return, you need to understand what you're investing in and, you know, um, try to do it to the best of your ability. So those three pillars are my recipe for success. And now my website, if you go there, most of my content falls under one of those three pillars. Yeah. And I have a course, uh, a free and paid course in each pillar. When one one is about the, the mapping your road to retirement, the financial prudency, one's about incorporating yourself, starting a business and what the benefits you know therein are. And then the other is most about real estate investing because that's been a lot of what I've done. But uh, just investing in general. Uh, and, but I do have a little course on, on my system of how I basically analyze real estate over the years and, and really show people like how real estate profits work and the difference between cash flow and internal rate of return and like how to compare the, the performance of your real estate investments against other investments, like just the stock market or whatever else, you know, could produce a return for you. Well, here's my thought, and this is actually a lot simpler than everything you just said. We are in a point in our society, in our economy, and everything else where I believe that the idea, at least in certain types of work, the idea of being a nine to five Monday through Friday, 40 hour a week worker is just going to outright disappear. Yeah. I mean, we've, uh, one of the silver linings of COVID, as I like to say, is I believe that if it hasn't actually completely eliminated it, it's put the it's put the fatal blow to the idea of the cubicle farm, which I celebrate. Mm-hmm. I think what follows shortly behind that is a lot of companies are going to recognize that they are better off working with independent contractors for certain types of work rather than carrying employees. And those same people who otherwise would be employees would recognize they're better off working as independent contractors. Let me put these two things together. Uh, Many studies have been conducted. I've read several of them. So I'm going to basically use my own average of what I've come up with that study productivity of somebody who's a knowledge worker in an office environment, particularly a cubicle farm, working an eight-hour-a-day, five-day-a-week you know, process or, or, or pattern. Mm-hmm. And they deter- it's been determined that approximately two hours and 53 minutes of that time is actually in any way productive, meaningful, or valuable to the company. <laughs> the rest of it, the rest of it, we're running Facebook. short on time, so we don't have to go. We don't have to go about what what the rest of it is. Although a lot of it is uh, can be summed up in stupid meetings. Yeah. Now and social media. Okay. So the company is already paying people, knowing that over half the time they're just sitting there waiting to have something to do. But if you don't have the people there, then the work doesn't get done when it needs done. So it's kind of a catch twenty two for the company. Yeah. Now you have the employee who is also aware that. They're being forced to get up in an unnaturally ungodly hour, drive on a so-called freeway, 
that will have 100,000 cars on it in one hour when it was designed for a maximum of 20,000. Take three hours to make a 45-minute trip. Get penalized if they're one minute late after they go through all that. Just the amount of time they spend on commutes, clothing, and food to be away from their family, literally half their life, reduces their hourly rate, if you were to actually do that calculation, by at least $3 an hour versus what they're officially being paid on paper. And they know Mm -hmm. full well they're spending half their time sitting there waiting for something to do, and they're actually getting worn out pretending to be busy. Mm -hmm. Busy work, meetings, um, having something on the screen so they can flip it so that people don't see they're on Facebook, et cetera. (laughs) Right. So they also know that they could sit at home and get that work done in three hours. Now they don't have to pay for childcare, which is basically a paycheck. And and they're better rested. They're more energetic. They can follow their natural rhythms a lot better. And maybe they're in a customer service role and they need to be available from nine to five. Well, hey. As long as you can carry your phone around and it beeps really loud if you get if you get summoned and you answer promptly, can you still render the customer service? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So it's better off for them to work from home and uh, better off from them to actually get paid for what they work for versus being handed a paycheck to mostly sit around waiting for work to happen. Mm-hmm. So you see a company better off working with the independent contractor, employee better off being the independent contractor. Yeah. So with all that, now you have all these independent contractors that are going to want to rent apartments and uh, and uh, enter mortgages on houses. And the first question they're going to get asked when they attempt to do either thing is, can you show us some pay stubs? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know. I, I, a- I have not seen a pay stub in 20 goddamn years. Yeah, but I keep I hearing the term, uh, you know, a, a couple friends of mine have recently gone through renting new places. And that was the thing they kept running into is, we need to see pay stubs. And I, and I say that in a mocking tone on purpose, because that's such a stupid old term. And you laughed and you're in the, and you're in this industry and you laughed. I know. So here's, let me get to the point. Challenge they ran into was because they were entrepreneurs was difficulty documenting a salary or a wage that was three times the rent or three times the mortgage. Right. When you have a limited liability company or some sort of entity, you can take freelance work, you can take side hustle work, you can take whatever you need to, push it through that, draw income either as an employee of the, sh- of the company or as a managing partner of the company. Mm-hmm. And when you know that you're thinking about getting a new lease or your lease is coming up and you want to shield yourself, you don't necessarily need three times your rent or three times your mortgage to live on. Fun fact, you many cases you don't. So you don't need to take that out of the company all the time. Just give yourself a raise. Right. You know, you know, your yeah. lease is coming up in four months. You, you're thinking um, you're, you're going to jump into a new place. Just give yourself a raise. They're only yeah. going to look back three months anyway. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and a lot and, of flexibility. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and one, and one of these ways. folks has been told for years and years and years, because all they do is freelance work, is to create a sunshine, create a limited liability company and push their revenue through that. It's, it's, I don't want to pay taxes. I want to stay a cash business. All right. Uh, now what I'm giving <laughs> now what I'm giving is neither legal nor tax advice. But I'll just come out and say it is push enough through the company, pay some taxes, and participate in your stupid system because that's the only way you're getting a nice apartment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you. Well, one, you're supposed to pay taxes on your income. Period. Yeah, yeah. You're, um, you're you know, supposed for sure. Yeah, you're supposed. <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah, but, I mean. The thing I mean, about my, being yeah, my, an, <laughs> a, 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 you know, a business owner or whatever is you do the way around these issues is you, 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 you pay income, you pay taxes on the income you make and you validate yeah. your income through your tax return. Yeah. Uh, so when you go to get a mortgage or whatever, yeah, you don't give a pay stub, but you give your last two years of tax returns. Right. Uh, and, 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 the, and the way to make those look good is if, uh, if I sat here right now thinking, you know what, in two years, I'm buying a house. Cool. Well, Get myself a raise today. 
That's right. And I have the power to do it. I just shift what percentage of my income comes through this limited liability company or this S corp or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I find, you know, like a lot of people, they, they do like the comfort and ease of like the W2 paycheck, but they don't really realize, you know, like what, how many benefits there really are. You you're know, du- if, okay. you, if you're to be a business owner exactly. or corporate, if we're getting to doing your work as a consultant or whatever. Yeah. Um, they your just, W2- you know, I guess they get a little lazy yeah. really. Uh-huh. So here it is. So here it is. Your W2 paycheck is getting you a basic amount of $15 an hour. So you're probably, I'm doing very rough math off the top of my head. If we're doing three times the rent or what have you, you're probably going to be in about a $1,300 a month apartment. Mm-hmm. Okay. That ain't shit these days with inflation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but at the same time, you're also doing freelance consulting. You're getting paid $500 a gig. You are doing voiceover work. You're getting $300 a gig for that. And that's a good going rate for voiceover work is three $300 per hour, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, these are things you're doing evenings and weekends, easy, fun. So instead of sticking all that cash in your pocket and avoiding the whole system, put it in the system, use a limited liability company or an S-corp or what have you to manage your liabilities, position yourself as an employee and a shareholder, because you can be both and take two different forms of compensation compensation simultaneously, there'll be taxed at two different rates. If you're concerned about paying less taxes, give have that, that corporate entity cut you a paycheck. And mm-hmm. now when you see your pay stuff, <laughs> you can show you can show them you can show them three times twenty five hundred dollars a month. You yeah. think you're getting a nicer apartment on that? I bet you. Absolutely. Well you're for incorporating. I like that. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I, and 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 my advice is do it as soon as possible. The moment I caught the entrepreneurial bug, the first thing I did was form a limited liability company. Second thing I did was hire a CPA. Third thing I did was get a federal tax ID for the business. Yep. yep. Fourth thing I did was use those first three to get a business checking account. Yep. And then you can get a business credit card that doesn't report to your personal credit report. Yep. And then you can use that for your business stuff and it won't mm-hmm. affect your credit score. Bingo. Right back to the beginning. Uh-huh. Yep. So absolutely basically we've done we've we've come we've combined your story with some great practical tips about working toward financial independence and time freedom. Now I didn't want to overwhelm our listeners because I wanted to give them some practical tips and this particular episode is geared toward the startups. This is geared toward the people, the side hustlers, the folks that are in the process of creating their business and want to avoid mistakes or get that shortcut. And I think we've given them some. Plus, as we wrap up here, I do want to refer people to your website, which is at www.playlouder.com. And if they want to get deeper into whether it's credit scores, crypto, debt, uh, income, investing, productivity, real estate, what have you, and so much more, that's all available to you. That's right. They can go deep with you. And I want them to go to your website and go to www.playlouder.com and uh, get that stuff. In fact, you you spoke about budgeting. You have a a budget worksheet that's set up for them that they can download into their Google Sheets. You've got got, episodes to listen to. You've got You've got coaching for them if they need somebody to work with. You've got bifurcation on the different types of ways you can file your taxes. There's so much going on there. You even Thanks, get man. you even get into babysitting and childcare, <laughs> which is a big deal. So yeah, I try to get into like, and now I work with multiple writers. So like I try to cover even like little, you know, small areas and stuff. You know, everything is everything about money, it's crazy. It's like it it touches everything in your life, whether you like yeah. it or not. You know, it's like so it's just whether you, you know, I, for me, it's been always been a hobby and I feel lucky that that's been the case. Whereas I know for other people, they just don't want to look at their checkbook. They just don't, they hate yeah. it. But unfortunately there is almost nothing else in your life that like touches everything like money does. And so if you, if you stick your head in the sand about it, you're going to pay a price, no pun intended. Um, right. And so I, I try to like talk about all sorts of different things in life where, you know, you can, you can trim the fat, you can be more efficient, you can make more money, whatever it is. 
uh, it's all, it's all on my website for free. And then of course, as I mentioned, I got a few paid courses. If you want to go a little deeper, um, and, you know, get a little more serious, you can dish out a couple hundred bucks and get ahead of the line. Like you, we will save years of research and time by tapping a few of my paid courses. So, all right. Well, Joe DeSanto, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for having me, Adam. I really appreciate it. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.